Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They're excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate up for 90 days while you shop. But here's the crucial part. If your rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Friday, October 26th, and we're breaking down another big tech IPO. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's Brian Faroldi. Brian, what's going on? Uh, not much, Dylan. I just got back from a lovely bike ride because it's a beautiful day here in Rhode Island, and I can do that because I live the freelance lifestyle. What a great cue up for our topic today. Yes, you are you are a contractor uh, and you write for our site, um, and you you enjoy the benefits of being a contractor. You don't have to be at a meeting at you know twelve thirty in the afternoon. That's right. And I tell you, when you have small children, having complete control over your schedule is a godsend. So <laughs> I, I love the lifestyle. Yeah, and and so today we are going to be talking about a company that helps people live that lifestyle. Uh, we're going to be talking about Upwork. This is a company that just went public, and it's actually a company that The Fool uses quite a bit. Uh, we use it to manage our contractor relationships, both in editorial and with some of our tech projects. Um, it's a pretty incredible platform. Why don't we get into the how this company makes money and, and really what they do, Brian, to kick things off? Sure. So, for people that don't know, Upwork is uh, the largest online freelance marketplace in the world. So, they bring together freelancers who are looking for gigs and employers who have projects or jobs that they want to do, and they they basically match them up. Uh, It's kind of a win-win situation for both sides. If you're a freelancer and you have skills, you can go to the site, uh, log in, and browse through jobs that might interest you, and you can uh, apply for those jobs. Uh, You can do that as a side hustle to earn extra money in addition to your regular job. Or if you have enough volume, you can basically do that full-time. For employers, it's a way for them to instantly access a pool of talent. Uh, Upwork claims that they have basically 70 categories of work, and they have 5,000 different skills within those categories. So if they need instant expertise with anything like graphic design, uh, accounting, data analytics, search engine optimization, uh, and dozens more, they can quickly find an expert that they need and hire them. Uh, in fact, peop- they, uh, Upwork likes to say that the average time to go from posting a job to having somebody starting work is about 23 hours. So, that is lightning fast. So much of the value prop of this business is connecting businesses with qualified individuals. They, they really tout the fact that so many of the freelancers on their platform either hold baseline degrees, advanced degrees, very special skill sets. And so, you have employers that are looking at people that are qualified to do the type of work that they are looking for, which is huge. Uh, I think that they say that a lot of the jobs, a lot of the things that become available for workers to work on are often filled, or there are qualified candidates coming in within the first 24 hours on Upwork, which is a testament to how much quicker this allows companies to get things done compared to kind of a month-long uh, you know, type situation that you often have when you are hiring for a full-time job kind of at HQ for a lot of companies. 
I think that that's exactly right. That's the big benefit that they bring. And, and to give you a sense of their scale, um, they have 375,000 freelancers and 475,000 paying clients uh, on the platform today. And that, that in list of clients includes about 30% of the, uh, the Fortune 500. So these guys are the top dog in the space. So, Brian, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on this show was you put together an awesome breakdown of Upwork. Uh, that's available on Fool.com. And it's a great rundown of what this company does, and it's very methodical. Um, I particularly loved it, though, because it gives a great look at how to break down a business and whether it's investment worthy. Um, we are going to essentially walk through that on the show, but if listeners would rather read any of this, um, you can just email the show and we'll make sure to send it out to you. So, just kind of getting that out of the way. The, the first criteria in your checklist for breaking down these businesses is a look at the books. What do you see when you're looking at Upwork? Yeah, like you said, I have a checklist that um, that I've developed over the years, and anytime I come across a business that uh, I'm interested in, I basically just go top to bottom on my checklist and look at uh, everything that I can find about a business so that I can come up with a ranking system to compare it to, to other businesses. So, as you said, one of the first things I start with is financials. So, when I look at Upwork's financials, they, uh, as you said, they just went public. Uh, during their IPO, they raised about $187 million before, before fees, um, and about $95 million of that went into the company's uh, bank account, and about $78 million of that proceeds went into sh- insiders who were looking for an exit. So, the company did not get 100% of the proceeds. Uh, having said that, they did use their, their, the money that they raised to retire some of their debt, and n- as after the IPO, they, their, their balance sheet has $112 million in cash, and their debt load was reduced to just $24 million. So, they have about you know, $80 or $90 billion in net cash in the balance sheet, which is great to see. Yeah, this is not a company that is really kind of overlevered or sitting on way too much debt that would be unsustainable for them to make payments on. They have a nice cash balance there that should be able to cover that for the time being. This is not a profitable company though at the time. Uh, correct. So Upwork is purposely choosing to reinvest as aggressively as they possibly can into building out um, building out their business. Uh, I, that's a decision that I I think is the smart move to make because um, this the, operating a platform business like this uh, scale is everything. The uh, freelancers are naturally going to go to want to go to the place that has the most job listings. Conversely, uh, businesses are going to want to post jobs on the site that has the most freelancers available. Um, so, uh, Upwork is purposely operating at a, uh, at a loss so that they can grow as quickly as possible. Now, have, having said that, um, their loss for the first six months of 2018 was about $7 million. Uh, however, over the same time period, uh, they generated about $8 million in free cash flow. Um, so, their bank balance went up by $8 million. So, they are technically unprofitable. However, that doesn't concern me at all because they have such a huge uh, cash balance on the balance sheet after their IPO, and because they're producing free cash flow. And that, uh, that small loss came on, I think, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $220 million, $230 million, something like that, for the first half of 2018. In 2017, they did $203 million, which is up over 20% year over year. And when you are looking at a company, and the pitch is, this is going to be a high-growth company, there are a lot of tailwinds that this company can ride, they're not profitable, though. What you really want to check is long term, is the profit in place? Like, can, can you envision this company eventually turning a profit and really kind of switching the engine there? And I think yes, for this company. They, they are not losing money because this is operationally a bad business. In fact, their gross margins are great. Uh, it's really just that they are choosing to invest now to grow the business, and then they'll worry about profitability a little bit later. later. 
That's exactly right. And uh, to, to their margins, their gross margin over the last six months was about 67%. Um, that's something that I want to see. And ideally, you'd like to see that their gross margin grows over time as the business gets bigger and they can scale more and more fixed costs over a larger base of business. Um, so that's something that I look for. Uh, their gross margin did, has not increased over the past year. I'm not terribly concerned about that yet, um, but that is an area that I'm going to watch going forward. Got it. Uh, the second criteria in your checklist is moat. And this is something you hinted at a little bit before when you were talking about the draws of the platform. This is a business that really benefits from the network effect. Yeah, exactly. So, broadly speaking, there's four different types of moats, and I won't make an investment in a company unless I believe that the company has a durable competitive advantage over its, over, over its competition. Uh, I think that you can safely say that Upwork, because it is the biggest platform for freelancers, does benefit from the network effect, like I said before, where they have the most freelancers and they have the most uh, clients. Both of those want to be in the, in the, where the biggest uh, pool of uh, applicants are. So right now, I do think it's safe to say that um, Upwork is benefiting from the network effect. You could also make an argument that the brand name Upwork is, is valuable. And you could also make an argument that uh, their clients do have some switching costs if they wanted to move to a different platform once they get uh, verified and set up. But by and large, uh, the, the, this company, is uh, the, the long-term competitive advantage is the size of the network. And I think one of the most appealing things, you have this strong business with high switching costs and a lot of people that are kind of drawn into it. One of the most appealing things for me, though, is the long-term trends that this company plays on. And this brings us to criteria number three for you, and this is potential. And this company is really at the center of the gig economy, which has blown up over the last couple of years and I don't think is going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, that's something that I totally agree with. There is definitely a push towards hiring freelancers um, and have people taking on uh, side jobs. So right now, over the over the last 12, uh, 12 months, um, about uh, $1.5 billion worth of transactions uh, took place. They call it growth service volumes on Upwork's platform. That number has consistently grown by 20% um, over the over the last couple of years. And from that volume, from that uh, from that number. Upwork takes a cut um, from both freelancers as well as from the clients. They they charge fees to both sides. Um, so that 1.56 billion in uh, in gross service volume trickled down to about 230 million of of revenue. So they take about you know 14 percent or so of the total payment volume that goes on their their network. But that 1.56 1.56 billion. Sounds like a big number, but even today, uh, the estimate is that the total, uh, their total addressable market is about $560 billion. So if you believe that number to be anywhere close to accurate, this company has an enormous runway of growth ahead of it. And one thing I want to clarify in talking about the numbers here, um, you mentioned that gross service volume, and that is a somewhat company-specific metric that some investors might not be familiar with. Um, you also kind of likened it to total payment volume. If you're an investor that follows PayPal, the principle is pretty much the same, right? It is the val the value and the volume that is being facilitated on that platform, not what that company is necessarily taking in from those transactions. That's that, that that's correct. And the, what's exciting, uh, as you mentioned before, if you're a believer in the rise of the gig economy, uh, as they're calling it, um, McKinsey put out a study where they estimated that the total amount of freelance work that will happen by 2025 will be about 2.7 
trillion dollars. Um, again, compare that to what Upwork did over the last 12 months of 1.56 billion. And I think it's pretty fair to say that even if that estimate is off by an order of magnitude, the runway ahead of this company is enormous. Okay, Brian, criteria number four, uh, this is customers. And this is really looking at how do customers interact with the business? Does this look like something that's sustainable and serves people well, right? Yes. So I like to think about the way that a, um, I mean, customers are the lifeblood of any business. And I like to think about uh, the way that customers interact with, uh, with any business. So um, some of the things that I looked at is how much does it cost to acquire a new, a new customer? This is a key metric for a lot of businesses. So every day, about 10,000 freelancers and um, agencies sign on to Upwork's platform. Um, that that growth is not free. Um, there is some organic, but Upwork does spend about you know thirty six million dollars. Uh, excuse me, about seventy million dollars per year in sales and marketing costs to get that on there. Um, so that's not you know that growth is not free, but that that's I think that's money well spent. Um, second thing I look at is how dependent on the the company are are the customers. Um, well, between twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen, the average uh, business. Uh, the amount that they spent on Upwork's platform rose by about 106%. So the customers that they kept uh, tended to spend more on Upwork's platform over time, which is a great sign that the businesses that are signing up are very dependent on um, Upwork's Upwork's network. Um, the thing I look at is 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 re- is the revenue recurring. I, I do not like businesses at all where it's a one-time customer transaction where the customer buys something and then they disappear. I like it when they have a relationship with the company and they continuously buy from the same company over and over again. Uh, I think you can say that Upwork's business is repeat purchase because once they uh, sign on and become uh, uh, offered projects, they are more likely to um, offer new ones. And the final thing I look at is, do I believe that um, the company could establish pricing power over time. Do I think that they could raise prices faster than inflation and not lose any business? Um, theoretically, I believe that Upwork could as it becomes the largest uh, because it's the largest platform in the world. And I think that eventually both freelancers and clients will become heavily dependent on Upwork's uh, to, to make that connection. Uh, having said that, the gross margin that we saw on Upwork did decline about 100 basis points between 2016 and 2017. I'm not terribly concerned about that yet because this is still so such a the business is in hyper growth mode and they're investing all over the place. So that much of a decline doesn't bother me. But ideally, you'd want to see that their gross margin expands as the business gets bigger. And investors listening at home, if you want a number that is kind of the catch-all for what we're talking about here, uh, Upwork has this client spend retention number. This is what Brian was talking about with that 106 percent. And you can think of this the way that a restaurant has comps, basically, right? Where you have an account that has been active for a certain amount of time, uh, and they look at basically what has been spent in the past year and how does that compare to what they spent in the 12 months prior to that period. You want to see that number going up and to the right, ideally over 100%, because that means people are using the platform more and maybe there's the opportunity to upsell and people are taking those chances to upsell, which we love to see, particularly in the software as a services segment, Brian. That's absolutely correct. I mean, one of the things that Upwork could do over time is roll out new features, roll out new services, and generate more revenue from their current base of clients. And that business model is very attractive for investors. Particularly when you already have a very large group of people using your services. Um, We've got two more categories that we're going to look at on Brian's checklist, and that is management and red flags. And we are going to get into that discussion on the back half of the show. But before we do, 
Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days. It's the kind of thing that can cause a lot of anxiety. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about it. They're calling it their power buying process. And here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours and give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then, once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new, exclusive rate shield approval. First, they'll lock your rate up for 90 days while you shop. But here's the best part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, Brian, with this fifth one here, I think this really gets to something that is core to the foolish investing outlook, right? Where we want good businesses that are going to be sustainable, are going to enjoy some great tailwinds that will kind of push them to growth. But we also want to make sure that management and the corporate culture supports a long-term vision for this company as well, that people are being treated correctly. Yeah, that is something that I think the best companies do have in common. Um, they attract and retain talent, um, especially the, um, Upwork is is located in uh, Mountain View, California, which is in you know the same head same area as Apple and Google and Facebook. So they are competing against companies that are well known for treating their employees like gold. Um, so one of the things that I like to do with any stock that I'm interested in is uh, check out what what employees say out of uh, say about them, and you can use websites like. Glassdoor and Comparably to just get a feel for how employees think that they're treated. Uh, another thing I like to look at is inside ownership, how much the insiders own of the stock, how long they've been there. And ideally, you'd like to see that uh, companies that are less than you know 20 years old still have the founder is involved. Um, so when I look at Upwork today, um, Upwork as we know it was really formed uh, back in 2015 when two uh, online freelance marketplaces called Oldesk and Elance were merged together. Um, so the founders of Elance uh, have since moved on, so they're not there anymore. And one of the co-founders of Odesk is Upwork's CTO, which is a good sign. Uh, having said that, he, his other co-founder uh, left the company in 2015. So Upwork's CEO, uh, Stéphane Casriel uh, is uh, is uh, the C, uh, as I said is the CEO. He joined the company in 2014, so he has only been there for a handful of years. Um, he does own about four million shares of stock, which is about four percent of the company. That's a decent amount of um, skin is the, skin in the game, as as we like to call it. Um, and if you look at the executive team in general, um, they own about forty percent. Uh, uh, that includes officers and directors. They own about forty percent of the of the combined company, and that's what we really like to see, Brian. Right? Is the fact that the people that are making these decisions for the company are bought into the long term success of the company. Exactly. The the, the higher you want to see that the executives and the people that are in charge will get burned very badly and feel the financial pain if if they make decisions that are not in the in the long term uh, health of the company. Um, and going back to those uh, the Glassdoor ratings. Um, Upwork gets about a 3.6 out of 5 on Glassdoor, and about 62% of employees would recommend it to a company, uh, to a friend, excuse me. Uh, and the CEO gets an o- approval rating of about 74%. 
that's okay. That's not like stellar, off the charts, fantastic, uh, especially when this company is going to be competing for talent in Silicon Valley. So I would like to see better Glassdoor ratings, but they're not, they're not terrible, I guess, is the key takeaway. So nothing atrocious there, but it is not a huge selling point for the stock. You're not like, okay, the numbers are okay, but people love working there. That's a competitive advantage. It's more of like, eh, okay, it kind of is what it is. Uh, I think that's exactly the right way to look at it. <laughs> um, why don't we turn our attention to your sixth piece of criteria, and, and that is kind of the red flags and the things that people need to be aware of with this company. What stands out to you? Sure. So, experience has taught me the hard way that uh, never invest in penny stocks, and this company is worth you know two billion dollars, trades for about seventeen dollars a share, something like that right now. So it's in no way a penny stock. Um, another thing that's burned me in the past is when uh, a company is overly dependent on a handful of customers for the majority of their business. Uh, in Upwork's case, it has thousands of paying customers, and the largest one was only about two percent of revenue. So that's not a concern at all. Um, another thing I like to see is that a company is riding a long-term uh, tailwind as opposed to facing some kind of headwind where our market is shrinking. Uh, I think it's very fair to say that the market for freelancers is growing very quickly. So this company certainly has the wind at its back. Um, and then I, I also want to make sure that the company isn't overly dependent on something that is outside of its control um, for success. So an example of that would be an oil company that is highly dependent on the price of oil or a bank that's highly dependent on interest rates. Those are factors that are outside of their control. In Upwork's case, I don't see any factor like that that would prevent its success other than you know anything that was inside its own uh, execution control. And then finally, I look at stock-based compensation. Uh, I don't want excessive stock-based compensation. Um, in Upwork's case, the first six months of the year, stock-based comp was $3.6 million. That's in, in very, very small when compared to the $120 million in revenue that it generated and its market cap of about $3 billion. So, I have no concerns there. I want to dig into that excess customer concentration point you make there, because I think that that's something that can really be overlooked with a lot of businesses. And not that it is something that um, automatically makes something a buy or not a buy, but particularly in the as a service segment, if you are serving a very concentrated group of customers, your results can be very lumpy and you can take some really big hits related to uh, companies deciding to go do things on their own or to use another provider. And, and so I, I think of Twilio really specifically when we're thinking about customer risk because you know they were kind of the end all be all when it came to these building blocks on the developer side and all of this communication that would happen in app and they were so perfectly positioned for companies like Lyft and Uber to use them for all of their communications within their ride hailing apps well ultimately i think Uber who was somewhere north of like 10% of their business decided to move away from them and this is a company that's done very well, but took a huge hit immediately after that because a lot of people realized that the revenue that was coming in from that company just wasn't going to be there anymore. So, so that is why I think this is such a good thing to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. If some, if 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 a huge chunk of business is reliant on one customer, and that customer chooses to defect for whatever reason, um, the company can be in some serious trouble very quickly. So that's why I've learned the hard way that you have to check for that with every company you invest in. Most lessons are painful lessons, Brian. <laughs> uh, hearing you talk about this, it, it sounds like you're pretty bullish on this company. Yeah, overall, I, I, I think that's 
Upwork checks the majority of the boxes that I look for. Um, I don't think it was perfect. No business, no business is. But overall, I think that the company has a business model that is very attractive. It's riding a wave. Uh, it's the top dog. Um, and it's just has such an enormous opportunity that I think there's reasons to be, to be bullish. Um, having said that, uh, since this company is a brand new IPO, uh, when, when companies go from the transition from private market to public market, it's a huge culture shift for them. And some companies do great when they, as public companies, other companies fail. Um, so I never personally like to buy companies right after the IPO. I always like to give them at least, say, two quarters and see how they handle being a public company. What's it like to have an earnings expectation placed on your head for every 90 days? So I like to follow a company's progress and see how they perform as a public company before I would get, get interested. Um, so what I want to see from Upwork is them from the blow out their, their first two earnings report and have everything go well. If that was the case, I would be a happy buyer of this stock, even if the price was much higher than it was today, because I would have much more confidence in their ability to be a public company. Yeah, there are a couple other reasons I think that that's a great outlook too, right? Like when a first when a company first goes public, there generally aren't a lot of shares out there for people to buy, and so so you have a lot of volatility with share price just because some shares are locked up and unavailable on the public markets. And like you said, you know you want people. To uh, have to deal with the scrutiny of being a publicly traded company, it's very different than being private, and you want to see how management handles that. Uh, I am very much in your camp. I think that this is a really compelling stock. I, I love the tailwinds, and I love the very clear path to profitability that I think we see with this business. Uh, I will, I will probably be watching it the same way you do, where you're like rooting for good results, but hoping that the share price doesn't go nuts because you ultimately want to add to the position at some point. <laughs> I think that's the right way to approach this stock, or really any 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 new IPO that comes out. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts, Brian, and thanks for sharing uh, the freelancer perspective. I appreciate it. Anytime. <laughs> Happy to be here. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions, or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes, or you can catch all the videos of the podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Brian Feroldi, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.